All right, all right. Well, hey, good morning, Transit family. Feel free to grab your seat. There's no uh, bumper for the sermon today. We're doing a little, uh, a little hiatus from the Sermon on the Mount sermon series, and we have the special honor to hear from a guest speaker, uh, Joshua Young, all the way from Clarksville, Tennessee, the pastor of Redeeming Hope, Redeeming Hope. So if you don't know Josh, Josh is a good friend of mine, and also one of the uh, church planners that we've supported financially for a few years. So uh, if you don't know this, we're part of the Acts 29 network, and something we're passionate about is funding the war effort, if you will, the, the, the advancement of the kingdom of God through financially supporting uh, church planners. And so uh, a couple years ago, Jeff Toomer and I got plugged in with uh, Josh Young, and he gave us uh, the whole kind of vision for Redeeming Hope, and you guys, through your tithes and offerings, whether you know this uh, or not, have been financially supporting Josh Young as a church planner. And uh, to know Josh Young is to know that he is an, an evangelist. He wouldn't say he's an evangelist, but uh, here's what's awesome. Here's what's awesome about Josh is as I've gotten to know him and hear his story, every time we connect, he's talking about all the people he's led to Jesus. So they've seen, Redeeming Hope have seen 40 people come to know Jesus uh, these past few years, which is just incredible. And so, uh, uh, in April, Josh and I were just catching up, and just to show you uh, the, the kind of the man of God he is, we're just chatting, and he's like, hey, I'm going to be in town this weekend in May, May like 6th through the 8th, and this is what he asks. He goes, how can I help your church? How can I help you guys out? And I go, well, dude, I, I've been praying into evangelism and, and just getting our, our, our people trained and equipped to just go into the harvest and uh, love our neighbors and, and give them the hope of Jesus. Would you be willing to come and, and do that? And next thing I know, I'm on the phone with Josh, and he's like, hey, hold on a minute. And he's making a phone call to his friends, and then I'm on hold. He puts me on hold. And then when I, when I hear his voice again, it's like, hey, we're coming. It's going to be 9 a.m. to 2 a.m. all day Saturday. We're going to do a training on evangelism. How does that sound? I was like, that sounds amazing. Okay? So Josh, the way Josh Young sent, spends his free time in Northern Virginia is he trains and equips people in evangelism. And so how many of you were at the evangelism workshop yesterday? Was that amazing or what? Yeah. That was awesome. We went out into the harvest, had some great conversations, got to pray over people, share the gospel with them and got some great tools on how to do that. It was amazing. And so we want to keep that, that wave going, and Josh Young is going to uh, talk to us about God's heart for the lost, God's heart for the nations, and he's got um, great things to share. So uh, I'll exit stage left. You all hear me preach way too much. So uh, let's put our hands together, and without further ado, welcome Pastor Josh Young. Thank you, friend. All right, all right. It's so good to see you guys. And yes, I did do it. Um, yes, I, we were talking before the service about, you know, you have your little idioms when you get up and speak. So for mine at my church is, hey, hey. And I've been doing that for five years now. Like every time I get up, I say, hey. And people make fun of me about it. And so I was just emulating your wonderful pastor. Amen, amen, right? Uh, so I just have a question for you. This is a, this is a visual daily double. Um, how many of you have ever experienced an unexpected gift? right? So you go see some friends, maybe it's January or February, and it's a friend that you haven't seen in a while, and then they pull out the Christmas gift, right? And the Christmas gift is there, and you're like, oh my gosh, so you're, you're celebrating the gift, but then you're also celebrating the surprise of the gift. You know what I'm talking about? You know that vibe? You know the feeling? Well, that's how I feel about your pastor. Your pastor is just an unexpected gift to me and to Redeeming Hope. Nick has just been a wonderful encouragement He's an incredible man of God, and uh, our connection uh, through a couple of years ago was through a couple that used to be here, Luke and Sarah Beth Wadsworth. They connected us together. 
Um, we actually, I was talking with Sarah Beth yesterday. I said, oh, I was, guess where I was? And then I was like, I was in Alexandria hanging out at Transit Church. So they said hi. They, they're in the army and they've been transitioning all across the country, as you guys are probably well aware of that. Um, so, uh, so there's a connection there. There's a connection through Acts 29. We're actually joining the Acts 29 network in the next year or so. Um, but then there's also a connection through Heart Song Counseling as well. I know that that Transit Church partners with Heart Song Counseling. I, I actually didn't know that. Um, I'm starting Heart Song Counseling Nashville. So in my spare time, I do biblical counseling as well. I have a biblical counseling degree. And so when you're a church planter and you're a scrappy church planter, you've got to have part-time jobs. And so one of my part-time jobs is uh, doing biblical gospel-centric counseling. And so just a little plug for that. You guys, your Transit Church partners with an organization that um, loves to share the gospel with you in counseling and work through issues of the heart. And so um, they've actually got an incredible team of people here in the Alexandria location to really help with that. So if that's something that you're interested in, I'm sure Nick can give you a connection and, and so can I. So there's like multiple points of connection with Transit Church, some of which I was just finding out about this week, which is great. So we did this training yesterday. It's a joy to be with you today on Mother's Day. And I was thinking, let's talk about mission on Mother's Day. Let's talk about being on mission. And uh, I just love the fact that we're celebrating together. We've got the family here um, in our service today. So I talked with Nick uh, yesterday and I asked him, you know, where'd you guys go for Easter? Like, where'd you guys land? And he was talking about um, in the book of Matthew and the recounting of Jesus' resurrection from Matthew. So that's why we're going to start in Matthew 28 today to provide some continuity from what you guys talked about over Easter. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, if you'd like to turn there, we're going to look at that in just a second. So when we're going, uh, you know, the morning of the resurrection, these really faithful women, both named Mary, are walking to the tomb of Jesus. Now the men are hiding. The men are supposed to be Jesus' disciples, the apostles. Actually, the men are going to carry on the church of God. They're hiding in an upper room. But the women are faithful, consistent, brave, walking, to the tomb of Jesus. And what we find out through the Gospels, uh, through the whole narrative of all four Gospels, is that they're, they're going to the tomb to care for Jesus' body, right? So we don't see that here, but they're going to the tomb to care for Jesus' body. And they're approaching the tomb when this happens. Matthew 28, starting in verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is coming before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. So we see that seeing the empty tomb of Jesus inspired these faithful women to move, to act. They believed, and then they immediately acted. They ran back into the community, back to the disciples where they shared, and then they encountered Jesus. Now, 
um, uh, to help us, we kind of patchwork together from the Gospels this narrative because each Gospel tells a little bit different lens of the same story. So to help us get a different picture of Jesus meeting them, we turn over to John 20, and it'll be on the screen here. On the evening of that day, the same day that the two Marys were at the tomb, right, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, these disciples were still scared to death, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. My friends, this is what we're going to be talking about today. If Jesus is alive... If what you guys talked about a few weeks ago is true, then what now? If Jesus is alive, what do we do with this information? And our main point for today is going to be this, that Jesus is inviting us into genuine faith, which changes our actions, changes others around us, and helps us be sent like Jesus as missionaries in the world. That's going to be our main point of topic for today. Let me pray for us as we begin. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you have resurrected from the dead and that because you are alive, we can act out of a posture of rest because you've already done the work for us, that you have completed the work of our salvation. And so as we work, we are working in response to what you have already done for us. As we engage on mission, we're doing so from a posture of rest and Sabbath because you have saved us. And Father, thank you that this has always been your intention from the foundation of the world to send Jesus. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you are present in this room. You are administering the grace of Jesus to us today. You are helping us understand these words that Jesus worked so hard to make a reality in our life. And so we thank you that the work is done for our salvation so that we can respond to you in obedience and faith. And I pray that we would do that today in your name. Amen. So um, I'm from Maryland Um, Lived in Annapolis, helped start a church in Annapolis for about seven years, and then moved by, uh, through a series of events to Clarksville, Tennessee to plant a church right outside of Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And Fort Campbell is the second largest military base. Um, If you've heard of the 101st Airborne Division, if you've heard of 5th Group, those are the guys that live in my neighborhood. And we're actually, uh, some of the leaders of, of those divisions are, live in my neighborhood, and so we sometimes have these Apache helicopters or Black Hawks that literally like go a hundred feet, like right above our neighborhood, just buzz us at 2 a.m. in the morning. And instead of getting angry and upset, all the families, because it's such a military-friendly community and most of the people in our neighborhood are providing leadership to those um, special forces, they'll literally grab their kids and walk outside and look up and point. And it's like a thing that happens in our neighborhood. Now, I'm not, I wasn't in the military, But by God's grace, he's called me in weakness to move there to reach a community of which I'm kind of an outsider, right? And so I've had to learn certain languages. I've had to learn things like DD214. I I had no clue what that meant, but most of you here do. I had to learn things like you guys, unfortunately, understand the words PCS, okay? I've unfortunately had the heartbreak of learning what that means and what that implies. Um, But I love coming back to Maryland, right? And I lived in Annapolis for five years as a missionary, and so I love the city 
and I stay with my in-laws when I come back. Um, but here's something that I always have to do. Okay, there's going to be a picture that gets put up. I always have to go to McGarvey's. Okay, I got to go to McGarvey's in downtown Annapolis. Now, McGarvey's is one of the um, oldest um, uh, t- saloons or taverns down there. It's in a 300-year-old building. It's got a tree that grows up in the middle of it. It's like bonkers. It's great. I absolutely love it. And I was going to put up, I don't know if we've got the picture up there. I was going to put up a picture of oysters, but then I was like, I don't know if everybody likes looking at pictures of raw oysters on Sunday morning. But I love raw oysters, right? So I love oysters and crab dip. And any new friends that I uh, meet in Annapolis, I tell them, you got to go to McGarvey's and get a plate of oysters. And then when you come with me to McGarvey's, I always have to give you some of my oysters. And so I don't make you, but I kind of put a little peer pressure on you to try an oyster if you haven't had one. Um, because I absolutely love it, right? I love going there. I know most of the wait staff, and I love to share that with my friends, and especially my friends that are fi- I find have recently moved to Annapolis. But uh, we're talking about this idea of sharing Jesus. We actually did this training yesterday about it. And here's the deal, my friends. We share what we're personally passionate about and what changes us, right? And so when I was at McGarvey's, I had a friend of mine who used to be a, 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 a chef in downtown and I did not like oysters. And what did he do? He put uh, uh, Chesapeake Bay oysters. He put oysters from New England. He put oysters from Maine and North Carolina in front of me and said, let's test them together, right? And that experience allowed me to appreciate oysters. And I still think the best are from the Chesapeake Bay, but I am a little biased. But see, here's the deal. I was impacted by that. And I share what I love, right? And that's actually the definition of evangelism. Evangelism is not a purely biblical term. It's about sharing the good news, and specifically the good news of something that changes you. So we don't just do this spiritually. I think we all do this naturally, right? We share about things that we're passionate about, like hobbies, like being a part of a running club, or games. Like uh, I had somebody introduce me to a game called Unstable Unicorns, okay? And the tagline is, unicorns are your friends now. It's like a game, and my wife is incredibly sweet. She's seven and a half months pregnant. Um, but man, when you pull out unstable unicorns, she goes at it, cutthroat, okay? And I love it. I love seeing that side of my wife, right? And so every time somebody comes over to my house, I'm like, let's play some games. Let's play unstable unicorns. I introduce them to the game as, as Rachel and I were introduced. And like I said, we share things like restaurants like I do with um, McGarvey. So, but that's what we're going to be talking about today, how deeply, being deeply, authentically changed by Jesus, it then motivates us to naturally share this message with others as missionaries. And here's the deal. If we're not deeply changed, um, we won't authentically share this message. Either we won't share it at all, or we'll share it in awkward, weird, forced, and unnatural ways. So our our first goal must be, if we're going to get on mission with Jesus, if we want to share our faith, is we actually have to be genuinely changed by Jesus and walking in that change. And if we are deeply changed, then what we do is we actually join Jesus on his mission to change the world, and then what happens is that it comes naturally. So we're going to talk about three things today. How our faith drives our actions, how our faith naturally encourages others to meet Jesus, and our faith invites us to be sent like Jesus. Our faith drives our actions, it naturally encourages others to meet Jesus, and it invites us to be sent like Jesus. So let's first look at how our faith drives our actions. Back to Matthew 28, starting in verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. 
So as we remarked before, faithful and obedient women, faith drew them to the tomb. These disciples who had been following Jesus for three years, he was going to entrust them the leadership and the future of the church. But who's showing up at the tomb? Faithful women. (laughs) They're not scared of the Jewish people. These disciples are locked up in a room somewhere. They're scared to death. These faithful women are bold. They're confident. And how beautiful is it? Because remember, look at the, the context in the first century. By the way, just a little side note bonus because I'm a Bible nerd and a Bible geek. Did you know that women couldn't testify in court? They weren't considered as having an accurate enough memory to testify in court in the first century. Okay? Which, for all of you men in the room, you know that's crazy because we always forget where we put our keys and where we put our Bibles and where we put our wallets and who remembers? It's like, and then they also have this supernatural vision to see what we're looking right at, okay? When you say, wife, where is it? And she's like, it's right there in front of you. I was like, yeah, all right. So it's crazy to think in the first century, women would not be considered accurate to have like a first person accounting of something. It's bonkers. But then we read the pages of the New Testament. If this is if fake, if this isn't real, why in the world would the writers say that women were the first people to see Jesus and then go testify and tell the men about it? It's bonkers. So like, that's one of the proofs of the Bible, not one of many, right? But it's just this idea of, it's crazy that, that the women were the first people, especially when we consider the context of the first century. So they're approaching the tomb and we see in other um, versions of this story in the Gospels that they're taking, uh, they're taking care of Jesus' body. And they They at first didn't believe it was true, right? But God did a work in them. He actually sent someone to these women to tell them of the good news, to evangelize about Jesus' resurrection. And he sent them an angel. And look at what the angel says in verses 5 to 7 of Matthew 28. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So what what the angel first does is he plainly declares the truth of Jesus' resurrection. He literally says, he's not here, he's risen. Why are you here? What's going on? Why are you looking for him here? Don't you remember he said, three days later I'm going to rise? He's like, it happened. Like the angel's literally there. There was an earthquake. The tomb's now been opened. And then the inv- angel, he says, he invites them to see. I think this is so interesting. He says, come and see first. Have this be an experience for you. Look at the empty tomb. He's inviting them to this personal experience. So I just imagine this angel, like, okay, as they're walking there, this earthquake's happening. The tomb rolls over. These Roman soldiers pass out because they're freaked out. These women, like, come step over the the soldiers, right? They're there, and they're talking to this angel. And the angel's like, bro, why are you here? What are you guys doing? Look in here. And I'd imagine that he might have even spread his hands, like, look inside. He's not here. Come and see. And as they're coming and seeing, he's telling them what he wants them to do. And then as they look inside, he says, see, I told you. Like, I just think that's so interesting. I didn't notice that till last night. But I was looking at it last night, he says, See, I told you. I just think that's really kind of interesting. So the question is, what happens next? He says, see, I told you. And then it says, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. That's what happens when like your mentor of three years is resurrected from the dead. Like the tomb is empty. Like the grave is gone. There's fear and there's joy. 
And they're encouraged, and now you see that their direction and their intention has changed. They were going to go care for Jesus' body because they thought he was dead. But now their direction, their personal experience with the come and see the empty tomb leads them to go and tell. And I want us to, I think it's so important for us to understand that in order to go and tell, we must have a come and see moment with Jesus. We must have a come and see moment where you experience the resurrected Jesus for us personally, not as an intellectual concept, not as an intellectual ascribing, but an actual deep belief where you come and see the risen Jesus and experience him. And then that motivates you to go and tell. And then they go back to the community. They go back to the disciples. They go back to the people that needed to hear it. And then they met Jesus again together. So um, for the end of each of these three points, I'm going to ask a question. What does this mean for us 2,000 years later? So what does this mean for us? What now? My friends, the first invitation of us here is to have faith. It's to hear, believe, and obey the message of Jesus. That's what the definition of faith is. It comes out of Romans 10. And it's easy because it's HBO, just like TV channel, all right? It's here. You have to hear the message of Jesus first. You have to believe that it's true for you and then you have to obey by making Jesus Lord over your life. When you do that, that is what makes you a Christian. And there's a lot of people, especially in the southern context where I'm at, where a lot of people say, oh yeah, I've always believed. Well, it's like, well, the Bible actually says even the demons believe and tremble. Satan was there when Jesus was dying on the cross. He was there when Jesus rose from the dead. He saw it happen. But last time I checked, he's not a Christian. And so in order to truly follow Jesus, we have to be so explicit in our understanding of this, especially as we share the good news of Jesus, is that we have to make Jesus Lord over our life. Like we have to submit to his lordship. He has a new kingdom. We can live in the kingdom of darkness or in the kingdom of his beloved son. And so as we share Jesus, as we invite people to repent and believe, as we, as we share this good news, we must say, come and see, have this experience, and then believe that it's true for you. And then come underneath the lordship of Jesus. Say, Jesus, I make you Lord and King over my life. That's actually what it means to become a Christian. And so we, we can be changed to be on mission if we hear and believe and obey Jesus by making him Lord over our life. This is what faith is. And when we're changed, we don't need special training. We simply need to share our story with others. And we don't need to manipulate environments to witness and evangelize. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. If we experience good news, we simply are drawn into community and then share our story. And my friends, some of you today might have been hurt by the community of church. Some of you might have been hurt as you have been following on your pathway to Christ. And I want to encourage you, a step of faith for you might be re-engaging with a church family again. That might be what it looks like. You actually might be a follower of Christ, but have been hurt by God's church. And I want to encourage you that a step of obedience, a step towards Christ, and a step on mission could be getting more involved in a local church again. That might actually be a helpful and healing step for you. So our response to Jesus is first to hear, believe, and obey by making Jesus Lord over our life. So we see that first, faith drives our actions. That's how faith authentically drives our actions. Secondly, our faith naturally encourages others to meet Jesus. Look with me at Matthew 28, verses 8 to 9. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy 
and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took a hold of his feet and worshipped him. So we see the two Marys are simultaneously sharing their experiences. What they're doing is they're evangelizing. Now the word evangelize literally means to tell the good news. That's all that the word evangelize means. And like I mentioned before, we share with others what we have a deep passion about and what changes us. And so the angel meeting in the, them at the tomb of Jesus after this earthquake, uh, you know, I just want you to think about it for a second. It's their mentor. It's their rabbi for three years. There's an earthquake. There's angels. I'd imagine that they were kind of inspired to share it with other people, right? Like I'd imagine that that's like a transformative experience that's motivating them to go out and share. And you notice what's interesting. The, the, the angel wasn't chilling on this stone that's rolled away, and then he, he didn't tell him, here's the five points of evangelism. Here's a track. Here's a picture book. <laughs> what do you say? Go and tell. Go and tell the other disciples, right? <laughs> so I mentioned that my wife is pregnant with our first child, uh, seven and a half months. As she likes to say often, she is great with child. And... Um, we've been going through these baby trainings, right? We want to get into a birth center in Nashville. And in order to do that, we got to watch some very interesting and sometimes horrific videos, <laughs> at least for me. Uh, my wife is a nurse and now a nurse, was a nurse, and now she's a nurse practitioner. She's got no problem with it, but uh, it's a little... I have to have a settled stomach before I watch them. Um, but here's what they're not training me on, okay? They're not training me how to share the news that my baby gets born. You notice that? The nurse doesn't like give you a pamphlet. They don't do a training video on, this is how you take an Instagram photo. You go to portrait mode. You make sure baby is in the foreground and mom is holding and, the, and isn't sweating too much. And like, you know, then you put it on Instagram and then you share it with other people. They don't tell you that, right? Why? Because when baby Autumn is born, I'm going to share it. I'm going to take a picture. I'm, not a, I'm a bad millennial. I don't remember to take pictures, but I think I'm going to take a few of these pictures and then I'm going to share them with our family and our friends. It's going to happen naturally. And when I share my joy, others are probably going to be aware of it. I've got a laundry list of people that want to be on my text message chain, right? So the moment I text out the details and the stats, okay, and the picture, I'm sure that they're going to start talking to each other because we've got a small church community and there's going to be friends. And, oh my gosh, Josh and Rachel had the baby. And so probably by the time I get around to sharing it with some people, they would have already, thank you so much, appreciate that, by the time I share that with some people, they probably would have already heard it from others, right? Does that make sense, right? Does that make, that's kind of naturally how people share it. Now, what's interesting is that when you share about Jesus, more than likely, he's going to be already working in the soil of the hearts of the people that you're going to be sharing the gospel with. They're already going to be getting prepared. They're already going to be getting ready. So that's what evangelism is. It's telling the good news about Jesus. Second, witness. I just think this is an interesting thing. I want you to think about a witness on a witness stand. A witness on a witness stand gives a testimony of what they have seen and experienced. And if they haven't seen and experienced it, what's the objection? Do you call it out. Audible Daily Double. Hearsay. There it is. It's hearsay. They don't even let you talk about it in a court of law, right? Because they don't want the jury to be influenced by something that you have not seen or experienced. That's what a witness is, okay? And so my friends, this is why it's so important that we are personally 
being impacted by Jesus consistently as we spend time in his word, as we're engaging in this local church, as you are dialed into what's going on here, as you're engaging in the church family, what happens is that you are changed and then you are simply a witness to what you see and what you have experienced. That's what it means to share your story. Now, what does this mean for us 2,000 years later? What now? We model genuine faith to others like a missionary. And I want to invite us to consider what it looks like to do that. We celebrate and we mourn like missionaries. So I was talking with a friend of ours yesterday, and, you know, Rachel and I have been married nine years now. We've wanted children. And because of school and because of another woman in our marriage called Sally Mae, okay, I've been having to pay off some debt, all right? Um, we waited four or five years, but then Rachel had some, some autoimmune things that we couldn't, have, we couldn't get pregnant when we wanted to. And so this is our first. Um, but we are really trying hard to place baby Autumn at this, not at the center of our lives. We're trying to place her in the appropriate place. We want Jesus to be the center of our lives. And so we're trying, even how we communicate on social media, even how we communicate about this baby, we don't want it to say, this is the center of our lives. Jesus is the center of our lives. He is stewarding this little baby towards us to care for her and to grow our family in beautiful ways. But we don't want that to be the prevailing narrative of our life. We want Jesus to be the prevailing narrative of our life. And so when we celebrate, we're trying to think through how to celebrate well. And I want to challenge you that that is part of how you live life like a missionary, how you model genuine faith to others like a missionary, is that you actually celebrate well. You put things in the appropriate location in your life and make sure Jesus is your center. But almost even more important than celebrating well is how you mourn, how you mourn well. When difficult times come, my friends, our response is a megaphone to the world that's watching around you. It is a megaphone. So will we get bitter, angry, stressed, and anxious? Will we respond in faith and trust and obedience? And my friends, the proof of the Christian life is in the pudding. Proof is in the pudding. It's what comes out when you get squeezed. It's what comes out when you're under stress. And Jesus is typically doing his most impactful work in our lives and his impactful work in the world around us when we are under stress and tension. And our response can either facilitate others to engage with God or it can repel them and push them away. So I want you to know that you model Jesus to the people around you. And what I want to encourage you is that you want people to look at you and say, if that's what it looks like to be a Christian, I want that. I want that. That's what you want to model to the watching world around you. And this is what Tim Keller calls the holy imagination is that we actually want to be reassuringly similar and intriguingly different to the people around us. We want to be reassuringly similar. Like, we want to work normal jobs. We don't want to be living in communes out in the middle of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, or wherever you think you might live. Like, we want to engage with our friends. We want to engage with people at our job. We want to engage with people and, and live life being familiar with the people around us. Like, don't dress weird or awkward or strange. Like, a lot of times I feel like Christian discipleship from an engaged pastor is just teaching Christians to be normal. Like, just be a normal human being, right? And, and that's part of being missional. That's, that's what Jesus does, right? Jesus lived a normal life for 30 years before the beginning of his ministry. Reassuringly similar, but then intriguingly different. 
and different in the ways that matter, different when hard times hit, when difficulty hits, when job crisis hit, when health crisis is hit, how you respond is giving a holy imagination for the people around you. They look at you and say, well, he looks like me or she looks like me, and, and we share similar interests and common interests, we live in the same place, we work in the same field, whatever it is, but they're responding differently than me. And what you're doing is you're saying, this is what it could look like if you became a Christian. This is what it could look like if you made Jesus at the center of your life. And our friends around us need to see this holy imagination. And they need help with that. And that's how God has designed your life. Because you living a normal life submitted to Jesus, you living a normal life loving Jesus, being faithful to him, is beautiful and missional. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't need to get a PhD in evangelism or theology. What you need to do is be faithfully living your life and loving people well and caring for people well. And in the course of that, God does something miraculous and supernatural and beautiful as you faithfully follow Jesus in the flow of your everyday life. So our response to Jesus is to model genuine faith to others like a missionary. So our faith then naturally encourages others to meet Jesus. And finally, our faith invites us to be sent like Jesus. Look with me at John 20, verses 19 to 21 again. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now there's a lot to talk about here, but what I want to focus on is just that one last phrase. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Guys, this is a big deal. Post-resurrection, day one, Jesus appears to his disciples, he speaks peace over them, and then he says, I'm sending you on a mission. I've got a mission for you. I'm sending you. But look at what he says. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So our sentness, the most important thing, Jesus, day one, first thing he says, hey, peace, guys, and I'm sending you on a mission. <laughs> and how do we understand what is this mission? Then we, we, this is really important. We have to understand this as we're following Jesus. What is the mission? He says, as the Father has sent me. So in order for you and I to understand our sentness, who do we have to look at? Jesus. We have to look at the mission of Jesus. So how was Jesus sent? So if we look at how Jesus was sent, then we can understand how we're sent. So to help us with that, we just go to one verse, the beginning of John, John 1.14. And the word became flesh. This is Jesus. Jesus is sentness right here. One verse, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Two points about Jesus' sentness and our sentness, right? So we've got to look at Jesus' sentness, which is our sentness. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Two points. That Jesus' sentness and our sentness is personally incarnational, we're going to explain these words, and grace and truth filled personally incarnational in grace and truth film. First thing, he's personally incarnation. Became flesh 
and dwelt among us. My friends, Jesus is a real person. He personally was sent. And he personally came as a missionary, first and foremost, for you. He laid aside his rights and privileges to enter into our human experience. So this, that's, that's personal. He's a personal person. And so the summary of the sentness of Jesus is also in this word incarnate. He became flesh and he dwelt with us. He conversed with us. He lived with us. And he embodied the fullness of God to the world around him. He brought who God was in his personhood as the second person of the Trinity and he incarnated, he came into the world so that we could know who God is. He was a missionary. So he lived with us and among us. He suffered with us and for us. He fully embodied the fullness of God in a fully human form. So he was 100% God and 100% man. And this has powerful implications for how you and I are sent. Our sentness is first, personally, incarnation. It's personal in the fact that people are not projects. It's actually not about what others do. It's about who they are, and only Jesus can change who they are. And once a person changes with inside of them, then their actions begin to change. So what this means for us and our sentness is, my friends, I think we're called to genuinely befriend people, to enter into their lives, their story, and love them like Jesus loved us, to be a missionary. But it's not just that. We're supposed to incarnate. We're invited to incarnate the love of God to others. So what's the language of the people around you? What are the unique hurts and pains and troubles that the grace of Jesus and the truth of the gospel can bring healing into? What are people uniquely struggling with? We need to ask these questions to be good missionaries here in Alexandria, Virginia. What are the unique burdens that our friends in Alexandria have? And how does Jesus bring freedom to those burdens? How does Jesus speak to the soldier, the military wife going through a difficult time? How does he speak to your neighbors and friends? How does he do that? Like, we've got to ask these questions. We've got to think through these things like missionaries. We have to be engaged. We have to be thoughtful. We have to be careful. We have to learn things, like I mentioned before, like DD214 and BCS. We have to learn the language of where we're at, like a good missionary would. And it cannot be project-based. This is why I think bullhorn evangelism is not the pattern of Jesus. Jesus shared his life with his disciples. And then as the result, his, his disciples shared their lives to the end of their lives with others. And the church was born. And so my friends, I think really as I look to the sentness of Jesus, and specifically in Philippians 2 where it talks about Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that we might come back to God, so that, so that he could be crowned as Lord and King. My friends, we are required by the sentence of Jesus to lay down our rights, to lay down our preferences. Even from express, expressing our political preferences, we're required to lay these things down. Even our political views or cultural preferences to love and serve others with the grace and truth of the gospel. We are restrained by love. Paul talks about this. We are called to be restrained so that we can love the Republican the Democrat, and even the Independent, too, okay? We're called to love everybody. And we don't want to put any barrier between Jesus and someone by how we live and what we share. So, personally, incarnation. Second, I think we're supposed to live grace and truth-filled. That's how Jesus was set. 
full of grace and truth. Our sentness and Jesus' sentness is grace and truthful. So grace. Jesus extended grace to those who weren't religious, who didn't look and sound and act like him. And wherever Jesus went, those who were the outcasts and the sinners, they loved him. The religious people hated him because he extended this unmerited, undeserved compassion, care, and favor towards others. And so, my friends, you and I are sent in grace, showing unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor towards others. This means not hostility, not Facebook fights, not silly arguments, not divisiveness. We're supposed to have um, unconditional... My wife talked about this when she was getting trained. My wife went to Hopkins to get her nursing degree, and they talked about this idea of unconditional positive regard. But when you walk into the room, your attitude as a nurse can influence the room. And actually having, having favor towards others, unless you see a reason to maybe have some caution with them, but starting off the conversation with unconditional positive regard for others gives them better medical care because they're going to be more open with you. They're going to be more honest because they trust you, right? And so, my friends, this is what we're called to do. Not to win a soul or put a notch in a belt, but generally because Jesus has loved us and he's shown us grace, unconditional, positive regard. That's how we're sent. We're sent in grace. But not only that, we're sent in truth. And Jesus communicated the truth of his Father's love to the people that he ministered to. The truth of Jesus brings life. Jesus said, John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's incredibly limited. It's very limited. (laughs) None of these other ways can get you there. One way. That's truth. And we have to be bold and share the truth of Jesus, not the truth of our culture or our preferences. We have to share the truth of Jesus. And we are sent in truth to plainly explain and share the good news of Jesus, which brings freedom and life, when it's appropriate. Not our preferences. We evangelize Jesus, not a moral lifestyle. That's the truth. We actually talked about that yesterday in the training, where we talked about what is the core essential message of Jesus that we share, that we are invited to share, so that people can believe that. They don't have to believe everything yet. We talked about this yesterday, where I had somebody tell me one time, a really hard time believing in Christianity. Um, most of the people in our church don't yet know Jesus or have recently come to faith or have been de-churched. So most people in our church are brand new to the Christian faith. And I remember talking with somebody and they said, I have a really hard time believing that Jonah got swallowed by a whale for three days. Like, and I'm like, yeah, because it's kind of nuts. Like, it's crazy that a guy could have been swallowed by a whale and spit up someplace else to go share the story. I said, here's the deal. You don't need to believe that to become a Christian. What you need to believe is the basic message of Jesus, that you are broken, God did not create us that way, and that Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross for you saves you. That's all you need to believe. Like, really simple, right? God will work that stuff out. And we talked about this yesterday. The Holy Spirit that resides inside of you after you become a Christian helps you believe. Like, the Spirit helps you understand this stuff. And I said, you want to know why I believe in Jonah? Because Jesus equates his, the core tenet of the faith to Jonah. Because Jesus says, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, so I will be in the belly of the earth. So I'm like, that connects right to my central tenet of the faith. So if I believe in Jesus, and I think he's God, and he's accomplished my salvation, then I'm going to believe what Jesus says. So you see, like, like the basics of the message of Jesus, the basics of how we communicate truth, 
will lead to greater understanding. And so we don't need to talk about, you know, a literal seven-day creation or not. We don't need to talk about what about parting of the Red Sea and all these things. No, believe in Jesus and work the rest of that stuff out in community. And that's how we need to be focused and dialed in as we share the truth. So in summary, the sentness of Jesus, our sentness is personally incarnational, grace and truth-filled. Jesus invites his followers into a new way of viewing themselves in the world. Instead of screaming, I can do what I want, I have rights, I'm an American, Jesus calls us to lay down our rights, to be constrained in our speech by love for God and the love for others that even feel differently than us. Now, what does this mean for us 2,000 years later? What now? Join Jesus on his mission. This is the invitation. Personally incarnational, grace and truth filled. And joining Jesus on his mission means becoming more like Jesus in the process. And so as you follow Jesus, like being on mission means being kind to your wife. It means being a good dad, involved dad. It means being a faithful, good church member that's consistently contributing to this community. Like all of those things, being a good employee, being faithful to do the things you say you're going to do. Like all of that is modeling Jesus to a world that's watching you. And that is compelling towards people. They're drawn to that. And then mission is a lot easier. It's way less heavy when it's like, I'm just going to live my life and follow Jesus and tell other people about what's changed me. Like that just makes it so much easier, doesn't it? The pressure's off and Jesus has already done the work. So then we come out of a posture of rest. We come out of a posture of Sabbath because Jesus has already saved us. And even if we don't do it, he's still going to love us. But you know what's great? We get to do it. We get to join Jesus on his mission. And as we do that, we become more like him in the process. So our response to Jesus, dear response, is be sent as personally incarnational, grace and truth-filled missionaries. And so our faith invites us to be sent like Jesus. So back to our main point as we conclude. Jesus is inviting us into a genuine faith that changes our actions. It changes others around us, and it helps us be sent like Jesus as missionaries in the world. And so just to recap, our response to Jesus is first to hear, believe, and obey. And then our faith then drives our actions. Second, our response to Jesus is to model faith like a missionary. So our faith naturally encourages others to meet Jesus. And finally, our response to Jesus is to live as incarnational, grace and truth-filled missionaries. So our faith invites us to be sent like Jesus. So if you're joining us today, you look over the course of your life, and, you know, I, I want to invite you to consider, has there been a stake in the ground moment where you have heard this message, you believed that it's true for you, not it's true in general, but it's true for you because you need it. You've seen your need for Christ. And then you have obeyed by making Jesus Lord over your life. You say, I'm going to come underneath your lordship. I have a new king. I have a new master. If you have not yet put that stake in the ground, I want to invite you to do that today. I want to invite you to consider that that's what makes you a Christian. It's not about seeing Jesus on a flannel graph in Sunday school growing up. It's not about having an intellectual ascribing to something. It's actually coming underneath the Lordship of Jesus because you know that you need him. You see your need and how he meets your need with his grace. I want to encourage you then to do that. And if you do that, I think your life will have an eternal impact. I think that your obedience to Jesus, when you follow Jesus, that will give your life purpose 
meaning and a significance that extends far beyond this life into eternity. So if you look over the course of your life and you have 